Welcome to the Platform Journey, where we explore what it takes to build a successful software platform company and get the ecosystem flywheel going. We will interview seasoned innovators who have traveled this road before and can help navigate the way and share their lessons. All right, everybody, welcome to another edition of the Platform Journey. And today I have someone who's been an old-time friend, but also a very experienced operator who now for the past two or three years has been a research director and vice president at Ventana Research and really focused on one of the topics that I think comes up often, which is what are the systems and technology needs to make the ecosystem work? So with that, Stephen Harrell, welcome to The Platform Journey. Thank you, Avanish. Delighted to be here. Well, it's always good to see you, my friend. I gave the very high-level view of, of your background, but just introduce yourself, talk a bit about your own journey, because you've been in some amazing places and have, I think, have a lot of very relevant experience to this particular issue. Yeah, thanks. So my journey to become an analyst is, as you say, has been an interesting journey. I mean, I've primarily been on the vendor side of the fence for most of my career. Uh, starting off in the UK and moving to the US back in 92 with some stays along the way at places like Oracle. You might have heard of them. <laughs> and in my early days, I was very much involved in analytics and financial planning, forecasting applications. But most latterly, I've been involved, and I think which is what pertains to today's conversation, is more technology that supports the revenue generation. And I use that term broadly to include a variety of different technology platforms, those that directly support, those that sell, those that market. And most lastly, I've been involved in what's now known as subscription management, billing and monetization. And as we'll probably go on to talk about, there is some convergence happening here, which I think is of value to people listening today. Absolutely. And I think that is, again, a recurring theme, which is... We don't talk about ecosystems and partnerships just for the sake of it, right? I mean, there has to be a relevant business impact. And business impact, hopefully, is more often than not measured by revenue, right? So very topical, very relevant. And again, we've touched on this at a, such a superficial level before that I'm really thrilled that we can go into uh, you know a lot deeper into it. So, Stephen, let's just set some context here. And I think... It may be helpful from your point of view, really both as a practitioner and, you know, from startups to some very large companies, how do you see the evolution of, you know, what we call the business workflows related to the revenue side? And how has having or building a partner ecosystem started to affect that and change that from your point of view? That's a great question. It's, I often do what we call market advisories, where I'm asked by vendors to come in and talk about the market. And I often feel like people want some neat, neat boxes to put things in. And I think one of the interesting things about recent developments has been that it's hard to put things in neat boxes because there are so many different trends and currents that are happening that are having an impact on what we broadly term revenue. So people have been talking about this for some time now, the rise of the subscription economy, certainly in the tech industry, and the SaaS has been primarily uh, a subscription-based rather than one-time sale. We've seen the rise of usage-based pricing, 
Good examples of these are some of the, the big cloud vendors where you pay for what you use. We've had the recent episode of the pandemic, and that has shifted a lot of the notion of what it means to have a go-to-market motion. It's moving away from this typical linear process of where you have you make something, you have people who sell it, and you have people and buying it. One of the lessons of the pandemic is not that necessarily that it introduced change as much as accelerated trends, which we've seen. And the final thing I'd put in and say is something that I term all dollars are not the same, meaning depending on how you're servicing a particular channel, how you're charging for it, what pricing model, that revenue dollar can look very different from the margin point of view, one channel through another. So I think what's happening here is a variety of different trends that are impacting what it means to have a revenue business. And I think an additional one here is, which I think is the ecosystem. So back in the day, partners meant you had a reseller. I was thinking back before I came on, my experiences, you know, we had small consulting organizations who maybe did implementations and do some reselling. And it's very much a linear model. And I think what we're now seeing is for many different tech companies to compete with the oracles or the sales forces or the SAPs, they need to present, because they can't do everything, they need to present a cooperative ecosystem, which is more than just a passive page of here's a bunch of things we integrate with. They're actively bundling to a greater or lesser extent such that I, as a buyer, when I go talk to a vendor, can be assured that the areas or the functional areas not provided by that particular vendor are actually supported by an ecosystem of vendors that is more than just a logo on a web page, but actually has some deep linkage, some deep ability to for a buyer to think, yes, I'm getting a complete solution here, not bits and pieces I have to fit together. And Stephen, just to dwell on that for a little bit more, right? So when we talk a solution in that context, and, and you already mentioned this, but I think it's important to really flesh it out. The participants in that ecosystem could be other technology vendors who may have those different pricing models, like you said, subscription or usage, maybe enterprise-based, maybe different models. But you will also have services partners, right, who are part of that ecosystem, and you have a, a statement of work, and they may be creating a referral business, which has a different economic model. You may have some of them being resellers at the same time, which, again, has a different economic model, more of a reseller discount, the more traditional linear model. So all those things have to coexist, right? And isn't that one of the areas that at least those of us who have been practitioners look at that and say, holy cow, this is hard because now you have to track those things, allocate appropriately. And frankly, that's not trivial, right? Oh, absolutely. As we shift away from this linear model, and I think, you know, to bring back in something I talked about earlier, the shift to subscription from one time also has financial implications. Not to get too technical, but ASC 606 references how you recognize revenue. And you yourself mentioned partners who are professional services organizations. They recognize revenue in a very different way than if I'm selling a one-time sale. So suddenly you need to be much more conscious of not just from a pure accounting point of view, but from your business point of view, 
what are the implications for myself as an organization in terms of margin and profitability by having all these different ways that I can provide solutions to customers, either directly or indirectly through partners. Yeah. No. I, again, I think that's uh, at the macro level. That's exactly I think what some of us have, have seen that lived through. And sometimes the answer was, you know, <laughs> you throw people at it, and you have a lot of manual processes that kind of complement whatever systems you may have, which may not always have been designed to support this motion, right? So. In your experience, and I know you work a lot with different kinds of vendors, but we won't talk about vendors specifically here, but what are some of the key touch points? You started talking a bit about you know, this notion of having a complete solution with different pricing models, different monetization models, different accounting rules. When you think about it from a customer's perspective, someone who's orchestrating this kind of ecosystem, what are some of the key systems and what are the touch points that most often are the most challenging and the most, but also maybe the most important for someone to address. And if someone is going out there and think, starting to think about building an ecosystem or making a bit more structural changes to how they go to market, how should they think about this? That's a great question. And I think to answer it fully, you have to also accept that there's a change between what traditionally has been seen as back office accounting function. And what I think is a more relevant today, a much more dynamic notion of what it means to evaluate what an action means in terms of profitability. So what I mean by that is, you know, we typically, when we think about revenue allocation, we've sold something, it's viewed as an accounting function that happens in the back office after you've made the sale. If we loop back into what we talked about earlier, because the whole how you understand the dynamics of your business is much more live and dynamic, you can't do that or you shouldn't do that as an accounting exercise after the fact. You actually really need to think about when I'm putting together a quote or a proposal, what are the implications for my company by linking separate partners, whether those partners are selling bundled products, whether they're in service. So this notion of evaluating after the event, I think, is going away very rapidly, not least because CFOs want to know when a deal is put together, is this deal going to make me money or lose money? Because if you're only doing that evaluation after the event, then it's too, it's too late. late. It's yeah. compliment. You're done. Right. So I think what this is implying for a lot of when I talk to companies they think of partners as being, if you like, AP, accounts payable, and revenue as AR, accounts receivable, and somehow these are separate things. To your question about, I worked on a project where it was a car rental company, and I learned a lot about the car rental business as part of that project, but one of them was that a lot of the orders are surfaced they come from third parties, whether it's United Airlines, whether it's a hotel. When you book your hotel, you book a car at the same time. So you've got origination that's different. You've got all these different channels of bringing business in. And of course, you know, United doesn't do it out of the goodness of their heart. They're looking for commissions on that. The way these things are structured is that it's not a flat fee commission. It depends on the volume. So that means you have to accumulate, you know, what transactions in a particular period to work out tiered allocation. 
You also have, in the case of the particular company, rental cars don't actually own all their cars. So they lease in the same way that airlines lease planes. Rental car companies lease the asset that they're selling, which is the car. So there's a proportionate allocation that goes out to the owner of the asset as well. So now if you think about this, now we have this quite very complex that has to be evaluated at runtime. How much has to now be paid out to the originator? How much has to be the owner of the asset? And how much do I get as the car rental company? And to do this in a disconnected accounts payable, accounts receivable mode is going to miss a lot of the information that you need to make sure that your business is fine-tuned to maximize uh, return for your organization, not for United in this case, or, or whoever the originator is. Right. What a great analogy, right? I mean, you're bringing into the discussion examples from outside the tech industry. We know most of you, but the reality of it is these kinds of issues, and frankly, the system issues and the tracking issues, the reporting issues, the payment issues, they apply to any ecosystem, right? I mean, the example you just gave is maybe uh, you know completely different from the world most of our listeners live in, but the but the problem statements are very similar. I mean, I, I was thinking again today, you know, back in the day, you wrote a line of code for everything you wanted to do. Yeah. How many of today's products are actually assembled from various open source, from other third parties, that suddenly what you're delivering as your product or service is actually a bundle of a lot of different products and services, you know, some open source, some you've licensed. And so again, what you're selling is no longer this linear, I make it, I sell it. You have obligations as part of that process to think about what allocation of revenue has to go to a reseller, what has to go to a partner, what has to go to the originator of some of the software or technology I'm using. It becomes a much more dynamic, much more complex situation, which you quite frankly can't can't hope to do in a spreadsheet or in disconnected accounting systems. Yeah, that's for sure. And I've lived through that and I would never, ever want to do it in spreadsheets again. So let's talk about the specific systems, right? So let me just play back what I think I've heard so far. So there's going to be a set of systems that are a bit more joint customer facing, right? So broadly under the umbrella of the CRM, but then within CRM, you have configuration pricing and quoting. You may have you know, a number of other systems that need to understand the partner motion. And I'm just setting context here. You're the experts. I just want to make sure I'm playing it back. You may have probably some joint marketing activities that you do with your partner, and therefore, those are other systems that need to be thought about. What are some of the overall, as you think about this, and let's say this is we're talking to a head of revenue operations, which is a frequent role that we see now. Someone who's got oversight to think through the business flows, the technology underlying it, and kind of how do you make it work on behalf of a CRO and a CFO. What are some of those systems that someone needs to be thinking about? And may I dare say, you know, would you even think about prioritization of all the work that needs to be done to make this come to life? Yeah, I mean, I, I, how do I answer that? It's a, <laughs> it's, it's a big question. Subject, but let's start with the basic artifact which describes something in a B2B world, which I think is what we're talking about here. The basic artifact is a contract or an order. 
And that order or contract stipulates what it is that you're engaged with a third party to deliver, whether it's product, services, combination of. That contract also has it, in a sense, in a buy and a sell side. So you're selling in the sense that there's revenue accruing from that contract, but there's also a buy side, which says that apportionment of that revenue needs to be allocated out to some of the various parties we've been talking about, partners, originators. So one of the first things to recognize is that order, that contract now has two elements to it, two sides to it. It describes what's being paid to you, but it should also contain the information of what you need to pay out as well. So you have buy side and sell side contracts. And most revenue operations teams that I've come across are still firmly and rightly in the mode of, well, you know, I think of an order as representing something that I'm selling. And I think what a good approach to this is to also think, well, actually, that sell side also has a buy side component to it. And I should be incorporating into my systems that that happens at the same time, getting away from this idea that everything has to be done in the back end and accounting. It's accounting function because it's not. After the fact, yeah. We have a mutual acquaintance whom I won't name, who I remember talking to a couple of years back, who'd just taken on a new RevOps role. And one of the things that he mentioned was that one of the first things he had to start thinking about was price and margin. Mm. As a sales ops person, he never had to think of that. It was just every dollar revenue was the same. The stop line, right. Yeah, now he was being forced to think, oh, wait a minute. What actually is the true margin and what I'm selling here? because of some of the things we've talked about. And I think that alters, or that should alter, and and to your point about the marketing, now you need to think broadly about marketing. Market dollars, market dollars have to go to your partners as well as your own initiative. So again, where things originate from, the attribution, all that now has to be taken into account, such that, yes, you're accounting for things in a financial point of view, but you're also getting the insights that you need to understand of how your business operates. Yeah. And again, I think in a typical organization, there are many silos of systems, right? You know, you again, you may not always have everything connected, but the one thing about a partnership motion or an ecosystem motion is exactly the point you made earlier. It'll touch a number of different organizational units, right? So if you do co-marketing, that's one team. And the marketing team has its own set of tools and tracking systems and and execution systems and and so on. Then you flow that into your traditional sales automation system, which is leads that have been generated maybe with the partner. But again, it kicks in all the stuff you were talking about. Is it a resell? What's the margin? You know, am I actually making money off this? Who are the maybe different partners were involved in that? And how do I make sure I'm appropriately allocating according to that, right? So I guess the point here is, it's not easy, right? However, if someone is contemplating building this motion and then driving it to scale, they have to, I think we both would stress, they really have to think this through. Because at scale, if you don't have the systems and automation in place, you don't know if you're making money, which is the the CFO question. And two, frankly, from a partnership management perspective, ecosystem management perspective, how do you know where to spend your time and resources, right? I mean, that's the other, as someone who was a leader of this function, from a business perspective, I always thought that was one of the big questions was, you know, you can always look at the top line, 
but really who are the ones contributing to growing the pie and bringing you know the right kind of engagements and customers and expansions and so on that's a much more sophisticated question right absolutely as your partner motions grow and become a larger portion of your overall business to think of this as just some arm's length that oh they'll deal with it you really are in danger of not understanding your own business the more you delegate to a third party to own your business the less control you have over your own business you know that's the classic dilemma in a manufacturing distribution world where who owns the customer well the manufacturer is making the good but the customer is actually owned through the distributor and the wholesaler so you know to avoid that mentality which i think you can easily do in the software industry is to have a much better notion of of whom it is and as you say how do you track all that information yeah so Stephen, before we wrap, I mean, you've spent a lot of time with different clients. You gave the example of a car rental company. Any companies in the tech sector that come to mind that you've spent time with that have, again, you can keep it anonymous, but maybe an example of an organization that has really done this systems thinking and implementation well, and what might be some lessons to take away from that? We were talking about prioritization earlier, and I think there's an execution side of this which is important. Um, I know there are a number of tech companies who have embraced this notion of the contract and order describing both how money comes in, but also how you automate the allocation. Let's also recognize that part of the process is, is you want a good relationship with your vendors, with your partners. You don't want to be forever arguing at the end of the month accounting period that this wasn't paid right or, you know, all those things engender ill feeling and don't contribute towards a positive experience. So there's that. I'd also talk about I've seen good companies, people who are doing this well, are taking a very holistic view. So when it comes to planning, even things like compensation, sales compensation, they're taking to account. When I hear omni-channel, some people think omni-channel means I choose one particular channel. Well, the reality is, is that a buyer is choosing multiple channels. At the same time. At the same time. Yeah. You know, they could be engaging with your salespeople. They could be engaging with the third partner sales. You know, this omni-channel means that when you're putting together your plans, what revenue is coming from where, how do I compensate people, what territories exist, that you take a much more holistic approach. I think the very narrow view, partners are dealt with over here, you know, we'll do the sales comp over here. That again is going to set you up for problems by not taking a much more broader view of what your business is so that you are out pre-allocating resource, pre-allocating incentives that you're going to achieve or the target you want is an X number of percentages through this channel, through this channel, through that channel. It's not going to happen by chance. It's not going to happen by happenstance. It's going to happen because you put in places both the systems and the incentives to make it happen. Yeah, perfect. Stephen, again, as expected, I think very insightful. And I think you've, you're shining a light in some of the areas that folks need to focus on. Any final thoughts before we wrap? Just that I think that having worked in so many startups and smaller companies, I really do feel that the eye on the prize is you and I discussed this, that, you know, we have the ERP, we have the CRM, but we have this whole new enabling software, which is going to allow companies, typically companies that haven't necessarily embraced digital products, digital services, subscription management, i.e. the most of the economy, 
to be able to do that. And it's going to be very important if you're a vendor in that space, for you to be able to compete with the Oracles and the SAPs and the sales forces, you're going to have to need a very robust partner ecosystem with some of the systems and processes in place for you to be able to effectively compete against those BMOs that you know you can deliver a solution for your customers. Perfect. On that note, Stephen, thank you again for making the time. Really fun conversation as expected. And looking forward to seeing you sometime soon. Cool. All right. Well, thanks very much, Evan. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this leg of the platform journey from Tidebark, a growth equity firm purpose-built to help companies win and scale. For more insights, subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.tidemarkcap.com slash the platform journey. Thank you.